Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. As you're going to take a seat, we're uh, in Philippians again. I'm sure you know where we are. Today we start chapter 3 of Philippians. So open up your Bible with me if you've got it. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. We're going to be reading from verse 1 down to verse 11. And uh, while you're opening, I'm going to pray for us because we're covering some big subjects and some, some challenging scripture this morning. And so while you're opening up your Bible, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you for our time in worship. And Lord, thank you for this time as we get to open and unpack the word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will awaken our hearts and our minds to receive life from the Word, that it won't just be um, knowledge, that it won't just be information, but that it will bring life, it'll bring transformation. And so, Holy Spirit, we say, come and move amongst us as we dig into the Word this morning. Amen. 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 All right, well, let's jump in here. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, that means that's in the context of everything we spoke about last week, end of chapter 2. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot of stuff covered in here. Jesus, help us to cover this in the next three hours. (laughs) All right, let's go back and look at verse 1 and 2 quickly. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard to you. We see Paul coming at this thing rejoicing time and time again in this letter. Uh, He keeps telling them rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Now remember the context over here is he's just finished talking about Epaphroditus who he said nearly lost his life for the sake of the gospel. He, he nearly died because he was going on this, this mission type of trip, this uh, project to, to serve Paul, and he nearly died. And now in that context, Paul says rejoice. 
And so basically what he's saying is no matter what the circumstances, no matter what you're facing, no matter the trial, the challenge, the circumstance, you have reason to rejoice because Jesus is on the throne. And so rejoice in all things. He then carries on to say, um, uh, it's okay for me to write the same things to you. It's okay for me to repeat the same things to you. Sometimes we hear things, but we don't receive them. Uh, we hear, but we don't listen. And, and so sometimes we need to hear things over and over again. Remember a story of, of a pastor. He got up on a Sunday morning, preached a message. It was wonderful. They all cheered and clapped at the end and all went home. Next week, Sunday came around. Pastor got up and he shared the same message. Same scriptures, same references, same points, gave the same message. Everyone thought, okay, well, all right. Week three came around, same message. Week four, same message. Week five, same message. I think it was after approximately five weeks, some of the other leaders said, called the pastor in, the lead pastor, and they said, listen, we, we know life's a bit busy and you've, you've had a lot of stuff going on, but, um, you know, are, are you okay? Do you, like, you've shared the same message for the last five weeks. Is everything all right? They were kind of concerned what's going on here, and, and the, the pastor responded. He said, yeah, we haven't got it yet. I'm going to keep preaching it until we get it. You see, the, the Word needs to infiltrate our minds and our thoughts that it becomes something that we don't just know or understand, but something that we believe. And those beliefs then become actions, and it becomes a lifestyle, it becomes a culture, and we start to live a transformed life. And so it's okay to sometimes have repetition because the more we hear it, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word, the more we hear it, the more our faith is built up in him and we get more and more transformed. So Paul's saying it's okay, I don't mind. And so as we see in this letter, there, there's topics that he comes around and he, he touches on it again and again and again because the repetition helps us to grow. It helps us to get it. Now, now he gets into an interesting section and he uses some very strong language the context is again remember we, we saw in chapter one and chapter two paul's addressing some of the the evil that's taking place that's trying to infiltrate the local church in in philippi uh, people coming in trying to uh, manipulate things for their own good trying to encourage and trying to make people go back to living underneath the law and and having a works-based relationship with god and so it's this very thing that he's now addressing and he says, watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. Wow, strong language. The context here is dogs in the context of the day were considered unclean. It wasn't your, your nice Maltese poodle that gets groomed every other day and smells like baby powder and roses. That wasn't the dog they're talking about. These were like disease-ridden dogs and they were considered filth. That's why he's using the word here is, is that these people that are trying to bring you back living a life under the law are dogs. It's evil. This is, this is disgusting. It's not good. Remember, work out your salvation. On the one extreme over here, I don't have to do anything. You know, Jesus said it's finished. I'm a millennial, I get to change the world by playing PlayStation 5 on my couch. And maybe Jesus will speak to me, and then maybe I'll pray, and, and, and God will do miracles, and, and, you know, a nation will be saved in a day, and I get to do it while playing PS5. Black Friday special, I just got it, and so let's go. Wrong. 
On the one extreme, we do absolutely nothing. That's not how we work out our salvation. Now, this is what Paul's addressing. He's addressing the other extreme, that it's all by my works. That work out your salvation means I have to work and do stuff, and I need to, by my own self-effort, earn my relationship with God. And so that's what was happening in the context of the church. They were bringing them back under the law. Jesus did away with the law and said, now we're in Christ. The law's written on our hearts. Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so it's not, a, it's not by our works that we have connection with God. No, it's by the works of Jesus. Jesus worked on the cross in the sense that he, he laid his life down, sacrif the sacrificial lamb, made a way where there was no way that we might be restored into relationship with God. And when we try and get that restoration by our works, it's called religion and it stinks. And that is what Paul's addressing. He's saying, don't buy into this. Don't fall um, into this heresy, this, this lie, this trap of dead religion. He says, don't do it. And he's got such strong language in, in addressing stinky religion. Ritualistic perversion of God's good news is what it is. is that we, we, we try to create some ritual that by our own effort and works, we, we get to access the good news of Jesus. No, that's not truth at all. However, when we look to most religions in the world, this is the camp that, that it's found in, is, is by my ritualistic effort, by my self-works, do I attain some form of godliness? I want to tell you that it is a lie and it is a big deception. And that's why Paul uses such strong language about this wrong extreme, about us coming back under the law, that we earn our relationship with God. No, we cannot earn our relationship with God. It's a gift that we receive because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so strong language uh, used for that wrong extreme. We then move on to verse 3. And this is a beautiful verse that's speaking about our new life in Christ. That we no longer live over there. We no longer live doing nothing. We have this balance as the Holy Spirit guides us, leads us, instructs us as we listen, as we follow, as we obey this dance called working out your salvation that we might be in step with the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5. And so let's read here, Philippians 3, verse 3. I'm going to read it in the NIV first, and I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let me read in the ESV. It says, For we are the circumcision who worship God, so who worship by the Spirit of God. NIV says, who serve um, God by His Spirit. ESV saying, worship God, uh, worship by the Spirit of God. Carries on, it says, and glory in Christ Jesus. NIV says, boast in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Now the, these words, uh, whether it's serve, whether it's worship, it's an interchangeable word, it can go either way. Um, but it's talking about our worship. But let's unpack this. Let's look at uh, three things that are covered in our 
new life that we have in Christ. And so the first thing covering here is this thing about circumcision, uh, the, this ritualistic thing that, that, that we try to use to earn some kind of favor with God. And so what does the Scripture say about it? In Romans 2 verse 29, uh, it says, No person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code, not by the Lord. It's the circumcision of the heart. As we get born again, the, the, the old in our heart is cut away. We become new. And so now there's no need for, for, for fleshly circumcision anymore in the sense of it being a religious uh, exercise that's supposed to earn you some favor with God. No, that's done away with. The circumcision is of the heart. And so as we now dig into life, new life in Christ, the first thing that we, we look at is that we're to worship God in spirit, to serve God by the Spirit of God, worship God by the Spirit of God. We see this in John chapter 4, verse 22 to verse 24. The context here is Jesus at the well with a Samaritan woman. Uh, the Samaritans were considered unclean, and Jesus is now talking to this unclean non-believer. And in this context, he unpacks this beautiful truth about what worship is. And so let me read to you. It says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. This is pause there. Isn't that just such a profound and crazy thought? Worshiping what you don't know. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, really, but, but so much of the world does exactly this worship what they don't know. It says, We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. See, God is seeking. He's seeking worshipers and he's seeking sons and daughters that will worship him both in spirit and in truth. Let's briefly unpack this. If we're going to worship in spirit, what does that mean? Well, that means that the Holy Spirit has to lead us. Because how can we worship in spirit if the spirit is not guiding us and leading us? That means that we, we don't worship the way that we want to worship. I think one of the challenges that we face is, is, is that we, we subconsciously make worship all about me and what I want. And I want to get that goosebump feeling and I want to feel the presence of God. And these are, these are good things, but they can get twisted very easily because worship's not about you, it's about Him. And if we're going to worship in spirit, it means that he's going to determine the way that we worship him. That means Holy Spirit guides us and he leads us and he maps out a way for us to enter into his presence and to worship him. That means that we don't get to choose. It means we don't get to choose how to worship a holy God. That means we follow him as we obey him. And he's the one that maps out the path of what this looks like. He guides us and he leads us. See, worship narrowly defined would be that it's singing, it's praising, it's dancing, it's praying. It's enjoying his presence and telling him how much we enjoy him. It's all true, but it's a narrow definition of worship. I think a broader and perhaps more accurate definition of worship is that worship is living for God in every area of life. Every waking moment of every day, whether we're 
in the office, whether we're at the shops, whether we're at home with family, whether we're in church and singing songs. Worship is everything, and it needs to exude out of us in every area of our life. That's what it is to worship in spirit, that the spirit is in us, Holy Spirit living in us, guiding us, leading us, that we worship him in all things, at all times, in all ways. And then let's talk about truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? Well, if we're going to worship in truth, we need to understand the truth. We need to know the truth. Because we can't worship in truth if we don't know what the truth is. As Jesus says yet to that, that Sumerian woman, he says, you pagans, basically, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. I want to suggest to you that if you only know a little bit about God, you'll only be able to worship him a little bit because you worship what you know. See, the more you know about God, the more you come to understand who he is, the more you grow in, in your knowledge of him and of the truth of the scriptures, of, of his voice to you, his written word, his spoken word, the more you know the truth, the more you know him, the more you're able to worship him. You see, it's this almost in, eternal uh, ongoing journey of learning more about who he is, the greatness of our king. And the more we learn, the more we know him, the more we want to just worship him, the more we want to just let every part of our lives be laid down at the foot of the cross to say, you are worthy of it all. And we worship him. See, we worship him with our bodies, when we don't feel like singing, we sing. When we don't feel like dancing, we dance. When we, we don't feel like jumping, we, we jump and we dance because it's what the Scripture says. The Psalms are full of shout to the Lord, sing a new song, dance. And, and we sit here and we say, but that's not my personality. I'm so glad for you know, some of the, the worship team members. They just God gave them an outgoing personality that they get to do that stuff. I get to do the, you know, sit quietly and meditate on the Lord. That's, that's my, it's my gift. <laughs> It's like, no, we don't determine how we worship him. He determines and we, we're obedient to him and we're sacrificial in our approach to worship him. That means that if we don't like dancing, we dance anyway because it's a sacrifice of your body. It's a sacrifice of your praise. That when you don't feel like it, you do it anyway because it's a sacrifice. We worship him with our bodies. We worship him with our resources, with our money. That, you know, sometimes you think, well, maybe I could I could. Get some new shoes with this money. <laughs> a new handbag, a new car, a new house, whatever it might be. But the Lord speaks and the Lord guides and he instructs and he maybe says to you, give this to me. And so we sacrificially worship him with our resources, with our possessions, with the things that we have. We worship by giving them unto the Lord. We worship him by serving. See, the people that are on camera crew, on the parking crew, on the usher crew, on the hospitality crew, uh, all the people that are serving this morning. As we even see in, in Philippians verse 3, uh, the NIV speaks about serving God. ESV about worship God because our serving is our worship. See, as we are 
ushering the cars into the parking lot and ushering the people into the auditorium. As we're filming what God is doing, as we're doing all of the practical, technical, and logistical things that the people that are serving in those areas, that is their worship today. Their worship is ushering the cars into the parking lot because our service to the Lord is a sacrificial form of worship. And so in our new life, we get to worship Him in spirit. The second thing is that we glory in Christ Jesus. It means we boast in nothing else but Jesus. We boast in Him. We glory in Him. He becomes the central facet of our lives. Everything revolves around Him. That we're not uh, falling into the temptation over here again that we find some form of confidence in the flesh. Oh, but I'm just such an anointed singer. I'm such an anointed, gifted musician. I'm such an anointed leader. I'm such a great, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And that we find some kind of reason to find confidence in the flesh. No, we boast in Him and in Him only because even those gifts, those talents that we've got, where do they come from? They come from Him. And so we boast, we glory in Him. We don't depend on those things. We depend on Jesus. And then the third thing, our new life in Christ, is we put no confidence in the flesh. Paul's building up to this, and now he's going to unpack uh, this concept in the next couple of verses. So let's read on verse 4 to verse 7. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, confidence to boast in the flesh, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. See, Paul had so many reasons to be confident in his flesh. As he he looks to his, his past, his upbringing. Let's have a look at some of these things. He's, he's circumcised on the eighth day. The religious ritual. Perfectly following the law. Happened to Paul when he was a baby. He wasn't out of order, followed the law. His parents followed the law. You see, sometimes I think we, we look to these religious rituals and we find some sort of false hope, some sort of false sense of security in the fact that, well, I did this ritual, religious ritual. I mean, let's bring it closer to home. Two weeks ago, we did water baptisms, and so you got baptized in water. And now you put your hope and your confidence in that action which is an obedience action and is a good action and is something that we need to do. But if your confidence is in that action and not in Jesus, well, then we can get led astray because we're, we're turning a, a form of obedience into a form of religious ritual. And so let's not do that. But Paul's saying, I've got every confidence because I was circumcised on the eighth day of Israel. Israel's God's nation. He's born in Israel. He's an Israeli national. Sometimes we, we think the country that we grow up in gives us some form of um, you know, promotion or, or demotion or that we're, we're, we're gifted more or less because of the country that we're born in. We're more privileged or less privileged 
Uh, and Paul saying, I was born in the most perfect country to be a zealot for God. The tribe of Benjamin. See, Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin, was one of like the favored tribes in Israel. King Saul, back in the Old Testament, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. It's quite possible that, that Paul, Saul, as we know him, that he was named after King Saul, the tribe of Benjamin. And so he's finding this confidence or has reason to find confidence in the tribe that he's from, tribe of Benjamin. We see this in our world today. We just need to look around, depending what cultural background you're from. We look to a country like India. They've got the caste system. And depending what caste you're born into determines how high or high low you can go in society. If you're born in the, the lowest of the low caste, they call it the, the Dalit people, you can basically not get any jobs other than the very lowest of low. You are, you are trapped by the tribe that you're born into. It still happens in the world that we live in today. I think it happens in our own country as well. Paul's saying, I've got reason to have hope, confidence, because of the tribe I was born in. Hebrew of Hebrews. His culture, his language, he's got reason to have confidence in these things. A Pharisee. Now you see the Pharisees were the most loyal Old Testament followers that there were. His denomination. He says, my denomination was the most loyal. I've got reason for confidence in the flesh. How about zeal? Persecuting the church. What about righteousness? As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. His morality. He's saying, I had every reason to have confidence in my morality because I followed the law as best as a person could. Faultless. I've got reason to have confidence in the flesh. I think that right there is one of the biggest challenges that we face. It's one of the biggest attacks on the face of the earth right now is this, this deception of morality. Well, you know, I live a good life. I give to the parking attendant every time I go to the shops. I'm kind to the teller at the shops. I come to church most Sundays unless I'm out of town. I, uh, I, I read my Bible I'm just a good, kind, moral person. I have good moral, ethical standards in my business, in my workplace. I'm a good person. That's coming back over here to what Paul called evil, mutilators of the flesh. No, our morality doesn't get us saved. It's Jesus. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. See, all of these things that seem to be an advantage to Paul, what does he say? He says, I now consider them loss. Verse 8 calls them garbage. See, there's no life in religion. There's no life in religious activities that are based upon our works to try and earn something. There's no life in that. There's life in our faith in Him. 
And so we've got to ask ourselves, well, what do we put our confidence in? Just put your toes back because I might step on them right now. <laughs> Don't want to hurt you or offend you. <laughs> but we just look at a thing like, hey, let's go, and, let's go and share the good news with Jesus. Let's go tell people how much Jesus loves them. Oh, no, I, I can't do that. I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. God doesn't speak to me in that way. Uh, I, I'm just, uh, I just stumble over my, my words and over my feet and I get so nervous and I get all hot and sweaty and I'm, I'm just no good when I do that thing. When I put me in front of a stranger and I just I, I, I panic, I freak out, I freeze like I'm no good at it. Where's, where's your confidence? See, your confidence is in yourself and your own natural abilities. When we put our confidence and our faith in Him, what does the Scripture say? When I'm weak, I'm strong. Now you can either have a pity party or live your life according to confidence in your flesh and that'll be your reality. Or you can, as Paul says, as we're going to continue to unpack now, we can let go of these worldly things and grab hold of Christ. And in our weakness, as we grab hold of Him, we become strong. And as we find our confidence in Him, he enables us to do all things. You see, the only thing that limits you from doing all things is you. Not the way he made you. Not your personality that he gave you. He enables us to do all things. So Paul's got all of these fleshly things that he's got reason to be confident in. He says, I consider it all loss. For the sake of Christ. He lets go of these things. And what does he get in return? See again as we look. This concept of circumcision. Colossians 2.11. It says. In him you were also circumcised. With a, circumcision, with a circumcision not performed. By human hands. Your whole self. Ruled by the flesh. Was put off. When you were circumcised by Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Don't have to worry about the religious ritual. He gets a new nationality. He was an Israeli. Now he's an ambassador, an ambassador of the kingdom of God. He gets a new tribe. He's no longer the tribe of Benjamin, but he's part of the family of God. He gets a, a new denomination, if we want to call it like that. He becomes family. He becomes a son of the king. He gets a new position. Now not only does he have to work to have some form of connection with God, but now he's seated with Christ in heavenly realms. He gets a new morality. You see, he used to work for his righteousness, following the law, faultless, but now he has the righteousness of Christ. A righteousness he could never earn by himself. See, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. We get so much when we let go of the things that we kind of naturally try to find confidence in. See, when we have too much self-reliance, things generally start to, to fall apart. So there was this guy, his name was Hans. Hans was a, a mine worker. 
And this guy, Hans, worked his way up in the mine until eventually he owned a mine. And then from there, he started owning multiple mines. Hans uh, became a man of stature, doing well. He had a son. His son was a, a follower of Jesus, and, and he was devout, and so he, he, he loved the Lord. Was, went went to, to law school and was going to become a lawyer. A very, a very intelligent man uh, that at the age of 17, he's going to university. Uh, his name is Martin. And about a year or so into his law study, I'm not sure exactly how long it was, but he, he, he withdraws from university and law studies and he tells his dad, I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to follow Jesus. So he becomes a monk and then becomes a priest and devotes his life to prayer, fasting, meditation. And one day he's studying the scriptures and he gets to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He's about 30 years old at the time. He's been doing this thing for a while, gets this revelation. This guy hunts with his son, Martin. It's Martin Luther. This was 500 years ago. Gets this revelation that our righteousness is by faith in Christ, not by our own actions or works. It's by faith in Christ. See, Paul's, Paul's speaking the same truth. That's what he's saying. And Martin, thousands of years later, gets the revelation. The church has fallen in some form of deception and it's become this religious, ritualistic, works-based thing. No, we have freedom in Christ. Carry on here in verse 8 to 9. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now there's an important uh, tense shift over here. See, early on in the, the chapter, he's kind of talking in past tense. He's referring to everything that was. On the eighth day, I was circumcised. I was born into this nationality. This is my language that I grew up speaking. This is who I was, and I had all of the reason to have confidence in who I was. Now, he's no longer talking about what was. He's now talking in the present tense. I consider, present tense, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. This is such challenging scripture right here. Because I think if I had to talk to us about, you know, your addiction, you've got to let go of that addiction and grab hold of Christ. We all say, yes, amen, good word, and we need that, and we need to be holy and righteous, and we need to let go of the stuff of the world. And, and so if I mention any of the negative things, we, yeah, amen, hallelujah. But what is Paul saying over here? He's not speaking about 
those, those crutches, those chains that hold us back in the form of sin. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying all the worldly things, the comforts, the things that we desire, the things we long for, he's saying, I consider all of this rubbish in the context of knowing Christ. Oh, that's challenging. It's like this picture of standing in a river, you're waist deep, and you're holding on to certain things. You're holding on to your job. You're holding on to your family. You're, you're holding on to your um, investments and your savings. You're, you're holding on to your righteousness that you've received through, through the faith in Christ. You're, you're holding on to your nationality. You're holding on to your culture. You're, you're holding on to all of these things as you're trying to do life. God, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm holding on, and the water's flowing your way, and so there's a bit of resistance to keep all of these things in balance because there's a lot of them that we're, we're trying to juggle life. And every now and then, one comes down the river, a good thing, an opportunity, and, and it bounces off the pile of stuff you've got, and you try to catch it, and next thing, there it goes down, down river. And it's like, ah, oh, we're just trying to hold on to all these things. But you see, every good blessing comes from Christ Jesus. And he's standing up river and he's sending blessings our way. And we're trying to catch them. We're trying to grab hold of them. But you see, we're holding on to all the stuff of life. And so as the blessing comes, it bounces off the stuff of life and we miss it. And down river it goes. And we think, how can I do this? What else? How can I shift all the things I'm holding on to that I might catch and receive the blessing of the Lord? And the next blessing comes down river, and again, it bounces off the stuff of life, and we miss it. See, what is Paul saying? He's saying, all of this stuff of life, consider it garbage. And I let it go. I let it be washed down the stream by the Holy Spirit that I might turn and face and gain Christ, that I might grab hold of him and him alone. You see, when we're holding on to the stuff of life, we're not able to fully hold on to him. So challenging because it's not talking about the negative things. It's talking about just the normal stuff of life. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. See, as we let go of the things of life, that we might gain Christ. See, if we're going to gain Christ, we've got to let go. That we might be found in Him. Are we found in Christ? When the person in the office cubicle next to you comes over to your desk on a Monday morning, are they finding you in the stuff of life or are they finding you in Christ? Now, I'm not saying that you're on your knees underneath your desk praying and fasting when you're supposed to be working on your computer. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying is, is your position in Him. Have you let go of the stuff and have you grabbed hold of Him that you are now in Christ?
Where do our friends, where do our family, where do they find us? Do they find us fighting the things of the world or do they find us in Christ? Hey, there's challenges in life. I'm not saying that there's not. And there's, there's so much dynamic tension happening in these verses, but, but I know that the invitation is for us to let go and to grab hold. And that'll look different for each and every one of you. I think what Paul's saying is, what are you living for? As we, as we love to segment and silo our lives, as this is the work me, and this is the family me, and this is the social me, and this is the sports club me, and this is the gym me, and this is the study me, uh, and this is the church me, and this is, like we, we, we put ourselves in these silos, and, and do we allow Jesus into work me? And do we allow Jesus into social me? And do we allow Jesus into all of these different silos that we have? What are we living for? Is, is Jesus just a an add-on that we attach to our lives or is he the very central thing and everything revolves around him? You see, he laid down everything for you. And the invitation he gives us is that we will let go of everything and consider it as garbage that we might gain Christ and be found in him. He's saying, what are we living for? What is our focus, our attention, our resources? What are we doing with everything that he gives us? You know, it's easy to sing it. <laughs> you are worthy of it all. From you are all things, and to you are all things. We're standing in the river. From you are all things, and here they come. And to you are all things. You're worthy of it all. But it's my stuff, God. It's my stuff. And I've got to look after the stuff and hold on to it. You are worthy of it all. It's my stuff. It's my stuff. It's like just push you upstream. You are worthy. Come back here. Come back here, stuff. I've got you. I've got you. You are worthy. Come back here, stuff. Worthy of it all. Let it go that we might gain and be found in Christ. Now what Paul is talking about here is he's talking a bit more about our sanctification than our justification. Now let me unpack this quickly. What is our justification? It means we are justified in Christ. It means that, that Father God looks at you and he says, you are righteous because I see you through Christ. And so you are living a life just as if you never sinned. Not guilty is the stamp from the Father. Innocent. Just as if you never, never sinned. You are justified. Just as if. It's a nice way to remember it. See, we're justified in Christ. Our righteousness is in Him because of what He did. We're justified. And so what does that mean? It means our entry into eternity with God is because of what Jesus did. And all we have to do is put faith in Him, receive Him as our Savior, acknowledge we need a Savior, repent of our sin, and receive Christ. 
we get justified. We're justified in Christ, just as if we never sinned. Now, even if you still sin, hey, there's still sin in your life, but Father God sees you as if the sin is not there. You're justified. That's not so much what Paul's talking about in this passage. Paul's talking about sanctification. Now, we've been justified, but we also need to be sanctified. Now, to be sanctified means that we become like him, means we become more holy. It means that we're seen by Father God just as if we never sinned, but now as we're sanctified, it means we're living a life where we're actually not sinning. We're becoming more and more holy. We're becoming more like Christ. We're living a life that's worthy of the gospel. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have gained Christ and we are in Christ. We are being sanctified. That's what he's talking about. It's as we receive all of these things from Jesus, as we let go of the stuff of life, that we now become more like him. That the things that we used to do, we don't do them anymore. Because we're growing, we're maturing, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As we close, I want to quickly cover five things that take place when we are found in Christ. So we experience the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Let me give a quick, quick analogy. How many of you watched the sunrise this morning? Anyone get up and you actually physically watched the sunrise? I didn't think there'd be anyone because this is the second service. You're the late sleepers. First service, we had a few. Do any of you doubt that the sun rose this morning? No, you all know that the sun rose because when you woke up, the sun was shining. Now, the fact is that the sun rose this morning. There were a handful of people in the first service. They know the fact that the sun rose, but they had another expression of understanding the sun rising. See, they watched it, and so they experienced it. See, when it comes to Jesus... There's a whole bunch of factual truth. The sun rises every morning. We know the fact. That's the truth. But we don't, we, don't, we don't observe and experience the beauty of the sunrise unless we get up in the morning and we watch the sunrise. Paul's talking here about an experiential knowing, an experiential righteousness. That is not a justification. The fact is, it's just as if I never sinned. No, he's talking about an experiential righteousness where I'm living holy and righteous and pure because he's inside of me. Jesus wants us to know him experientially and not just factually. And that's the invitation that we have. Second thing is that we grow in knowledge, in knowing Jesus. Our purpose in life is to know him, to understand him more, grow in our relationship with him. He is a person and he's alive and he's inviting us. He's seeking us. He wants us to know him. The third thing is that we experience the power of his resurrection. 
Now the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you and me. That same resurrection power lives within us. It courses through our veins every day. There is power within you. There's power to witness, power to walk in righteousness, power to do all things in Christ Jesus because of the power of the resurrection that lives within you. When you get born again, when you are in Christ, when you are found in Him, there is a power that no one else has that is not in Christ as well. There is power that is in you. The fourth thing is that we experience the fellowship of his sufferings. See, sometimes I think times of suffering, times of difficulty, what it does is it draws us closer to him. And there's a joy in those. Jesus says, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. There was suffering, but in the suffering there was joy. And just as Jesus suffered, in Christ there also will be things. Okay, I've got to let go. Let it get washed away. Oh, it hurts, Jesus. Blood, sweat, and tears to buy that new car, and now you told me to give it away, and there it goes. We experience the fellowship of his sufferings. The fifth thing, there's a resurrection reward. And when we come back in two weeks' time, we're going to unpack what that looks like. When I say two weeks, because next week we get to get to receive from Chris as he brings the word. Won't you stand? I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for everything you've done for us. Lord, when the temptation comes for us to find confidence in the flesh, Holy Spirit, remind us. Remind us that we have confidence, that we can boast only in you, that we won't rely on our own abilities, our own self-works or efforts, but that our faith in you will be the source of our hope, of our confidence. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your faithfulness to us that brings transformation to our lives. Lord, give us the grace to let go. Let go of the stuff of life and to grab hold of you that we might gain you and be found in you. Lord, will you, will you work in our hearts and our spirits that we might know you more. That the more we know you, the more we're able to worship you, to adore you, and to let go of everything and grab hold of only you. Lord, these these scripture passages are challenging to us. But thank you that they bring life, that they bring joy, that they bring peace, that they bring transformation. Lord, help us to live a life of being fully set apart. Set apart for, for you and only you. And to do that, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you. Holy Spirit, come and work in us. Amen. Thanks, Chris.